we are primarily focused on just exposing ourselves to the totality of the word of God. And so for those of you who may be new to all of this, right, that this may be a new thing for you is just the endeavor of just spending a good portion of our time or your time in simply just reading the word. Um, and that's what we want to commit to. We want to commit to that because that in and of itself is a, a powerful, it's a powerful endeavor. It's a powerful activity. You're simply committing your time in the word. And I, and, and what I've been praying about is that you would be transformed in this time, simply through the reading of the word, not even through the rants. And I know we spend 20 minutes reading the word and we spend another 20 minutes just ranting, but just the reading of the word itself is a powerful activity. It's a powerful activity and it's uh, profoundly transformative as well. Um, I, you know, in the reading of the word is, you know, <laughs> may at times be dependent on a practitioner of the gospel or a minister of the gospel. And so for me, what I want to do is, is I actually want to draw the attention away from the practitioner, away from the minister of the gospel, and draw your attention more to Jesus Christ himself. Draw your attention more to his word. Draw your attention more to the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so that's what I pray for, is that the more we do this, is I'm just helping guide you to get out of the way to allow you then, right, to allow the word to take root in you and bear fruit through you because that's the whole purpose. That's my desire. My passion for you is that Christ would emanate out of you, that you would be a conduit of the kingdom of God, an ambassador of the kingdom of God, and that you would bring renewal, healing, transformation to those who are around you. This is about empowering you. I'm just a coach. Okay, I'm just a coach. So if you come to me, it's only for me to coach you to go and do what God is calling you to do. But for me, it's all about empowering you. And hopefully uh, that's also what we are accomplishing in our time together. So if we can, let us commit this time right now to just hear from God. Okay, and so we're going to we're going to pray and then we're going to get right into our reading today. We're in First Chronicles chapter five. So if you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to First Chronicles chapter five. And we're going to continue reading through this genealogy. Father, I just ask, Lord, that you would uh, speak to us today. Lord, reveal yourself to us. Father, I pray that you would bless us. Lord, as we engage in your word, I pray that you would uh, renew our minds, renew our hearts, restore us in you. Father, I pray that you would give us revelation. Give us clarity, Lord. Help us see something that wasn't there. Help us see something in us that we hadn't seen before. But make evident to us, Lord, who you are and make evident to us who you desire for us to be. And Lord, empower us in this time as we read your word. And we ask that in your name, we pray. Amen. Let's do it. Chapter five, verse one, it says this. Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, he was indeed the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that the genealogy is not listed according to the birthright. Yet Judah prevailed over his brothers, and from him came a ruler, although the birthright was Joseph's. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, was Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. The sons of Joel were Shemaiah, his son, Gog, his son, Shimei, his son, Micah, his son, Reiah his son, Baal his son, and Bera his son, whom Tiglath 
Peleser, king of Assyria, carried into captivity. He was the leader of the Reubenites and his brethren by their genealogies. When the genealogy of their generations was registered, the chief Jael and Zechariah and Bela, the son of Azaz, the son of Shema, the son of Joel, who dwelt in Aror, as far as Nebo at Baal Meon. Eastward was Eastward, they settled as far as the entrance of the wilderness, this side of the river Euphrates, because their cattle had multiplied in the land of Gilead. Now in the days of Saul, they made war with the Hagrites, who fell by their hand, and they dwelt in their tents throughout the entire area of, of east of Gilead. And the children of Gad dwelt next to them in the land of Bashan, as far as Salka. Joel was the chief. Sapham the next, and Janai, and Saphat, and Bashan, and their brethren in their father's house, Mikhail, or sorry, well, Mikhail, or how some of us would pronounce Michael, Mashulam, Sheba, Jerai, Jachin, Zia, and Eber, seven in all. They were the children of Abihel, the son of Huri, the son of Jeroah, the son of Gilead, the son of Mikhail, the son of Jeshishai, the son of Jadu, the son of Buzz, Ahi, the son of Abdiel, the son of Guni, was chief of their father's house. And the Gadites dwelt in Gilead, in Bashan, and in its villages, and in all the common lands of Sharon within their borders. All these were registered by genealogies in the days of Jotham, king of Judah, and the days of Jeroboam, king of Israel. The sons of Reuben, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh had 24,760 valiant men, able to bear shield and sword, to shoot with a bow, and skillful in war, who went to war. And they made war with the Hagrites, Jeter, Naphish, and Nodab. And they were helped against them, and the Hagrites were delivered into their land, and all who were with them, for they cried out to God in the battle. He heeded their prayer because they put their trust in him. Then they took away their livestock, 50,000 of their camels, 250,000 of their sheep, 200 of their donkeys, also 100,000 of their men. For many fell dead because the war was God's. And they dwelt in their place until captivity. So the children of the half-tribe of Manasseh dwelt in the land. Their numbers increased in Bashan and Baal, Hermon, Hermon, that is Sinir, and Mount Hermon. These were the heads of their father's houses, Ephor, Ishi, Eliel, Ezriel, Jeremiah, Hodava, and Jadiel. They were mighty men of valor, famous men, and heads of the families of, heads of their father's houses. And they were unfaithful to the God of their fathers and played the harlot after their gods of the peoples of the land whom God had destroyed before them. So the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul, king of Assyria, that is Tiglath-Peleser, king of Assyria. He carried the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh into captivity. He took them to Hala, Habor, and Hara, the river of Gozen to this day. The sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The sons of Kohath were Amram, Ishar, Hebron, and Uziel. The children of Amram were Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. And the sons of Aaron were Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, 
and Ithamar. Eliezer begot Peneus, or sorry, Peneus, Phineas, and Phineas begot Abishua. Abishua begot Buki. Buki begot Uzi. Uzi begot Zariah, and Zariah begot Marioth, and Marioth begot Amariah, and Amariah begot Hatuib. And Ahitub, sorry, Ahitub, and Ahitub begot Zadok, and Zadok begot Ahimaz, and Ahimaz begot Azariah, and Azariah begot Jonan, and Jonan begot Azariah. It was he who ministered as the priest of Israel that Solomon built in Jerusalem. Azariah begot Amariah, and Amariah begot Ahitub, and Ahitub begot Zadok, and Zadok begot Shalom, and Shalom begot Helkiah, and Helkiah begot Azariah, and Azariah begot Sariah, and Sariah begot Jehozadak, and Jehozadak went into captivity when the Lord carried Judah and Jerusalem into captivity by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 16, the sons of Levi were Gershon, Koath, Merari, these are the names of the sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimei. The sons of Koath were Amram, Ishar, Hebron, and Uziel. The sons of Merari were Mali and Mushi. Now these are the families of the Levites, according to their fathers of Gershon, was Libni, his son, Jahath, his son, Zima, his son, Joah, his son, Edo, his son, Zerah, his son, Jeth. Let me see if I can say that. <laughs> Let me try that again. Jethari, his son. The sons of Koath were Aminadab, his son. Korah, his son. Asir, his son. Elkanah, his son. Abisaph, his son. Abiasaph, sorry, his son. Asir, his son. Tahath, his son. Uriel, his son. Uzziah, his son. Shaul, his son. The sons of Elkanah were Amasai and Ahimoth. As for Elkanah, the sons of Elkanah were Zophai, his son, Nahath, his son, Eliab, his son, Jeroram, his son, Elkanah, his son. The sons of Samuel were Joel, the firstborn, and Abijah, the second. The sons of Merari were Mali, Libni, his son, Shimei, his son, Uzzah, his son, Shimei, his son, and Haggiah, his son, and Isaiah, his son. Now, these were the men whom David appointed over the service of the song in the house of the Lord after the ark came to rest. They were ministering with music before the dwelling place of the tabernacle of meeting until Solomon had built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, and they served in their office according to their order. And these are the ones who ministered with their sons, of the sons of the Kohathites, were Haman the singer. The son of Joel, the son of Samuel, the son of Elkanah, the son of Jeroram, the son of Eliel, the son of Toa, the son of Zuf, the son of Elkanah, the son of Mahath, the son of Amasai, the son of Elkanah, the son of Joel, the son of Azariah, the son of Zephaniah, the son of Tahath, the son of Asir, the son of Ebiasaph, the son of Korah, the son of Isar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi, the son of Israel. And his brother Asaph, who stood at the right hand, was Asaph, the son of Berechiah, the son of Shimei, the son of Michael, the son of Basai, the son of Malchijah, the son of Ethni, the son of Zerah, the son of Adai, the son of 
Ethan, the son of Zima, the son of Shimei, the son of Jehath, the son of Gershon, the son of Levi. Mm-hmm. Their brethren, the son of Merari on the left hand, were Ethan, the son of Kishi, the son of Abdi, the son of Maluk, the son of Hashibai, the son of Amaziah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Amzi, the son of Bani, the son of Shamer, the son of Mali, the son of Mushi, the son of Merari, the son of Levi. And their brethren, the Levites, were appointed to every kind of service of the tabernacle of the house of God. Verse 49. But Aaron and his sons offered sacrifices on the altar of the burnt offering on the altar of incense for all the work of the most holy place to make atonement for Israel, according to all that Moses, the servant of God, had commanded. Now, these were the sons of Aaron, Eliezer his son, Phineas, his son, Ab- Abishua, his son, Buki, his son, Uzi, his son, Zeriah, his son, Marioth, his son, Amariah, his son, Ahitub, his son, Zadok, his son, and Ahimaz, his son. Now these are the dwelling places throughout the settlements in their territory, for they were given by lot to the sons of Aaron of the family of the Kohathites. They gave them Hebron, the land of Judah, with its surrounding common lands. But the fields of the city and its villages they gave to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. And to the sons of Aaron they gave one of the cities of refuge, Hebron. Also Libna, with its common lands. Jatir, Eshtemoah, with its common lands. Hillen, with the common lands. Debir, Debir, with its common lands. Ashan, with its common lands. And Beth Shemesh with its common lands. And from the tribe of Benjamin, sorry, Geba with its common lands, Elameth with its common lands, Ananoth with its common lands. <clears throat> All their cities among the cities were 13. To the rest of the families of the tribe of the Kohathites, they gave by lot 10 cities from tribe from half the tribe of Manasseh. The sons of Gershon, throughout throughout their families, they gave 13 cities. From the tribe of Issachar, from the tribe of Asher, from the tribe of Naphtali, and from the tribe of Manasseh and Bashan, the sons of Merari, throughout their cities, they gave 12 cities from the tribe of Reuben, from the tribe of Gad, and from the tribe of Zebulon. So the children of Israel gave these cities with their common lands to the Levites, and they gave by lot from the tribe of the children of Judah, from the tribe of the children of Simeon, from the tribe of the children of Benjamin, these cities which the Lord are called by their names. Now some of the families of the sons of Koath were given cities as their territory from the tribe of Ephraim. And they gave them one of the cities of refuge, Shechem, with its common land in the mountains of Ephraim. Also Gezer with its common lands, Jokmiam with its common lands, Beth Haran with its common lands, Ajalon with its common lands, and Gathramon with its common lands. And from the tribe of Manasseh, Anner with its common lands, and Belium with its common lands, for the rest of the family of the sons of Koath, from the family of the half-tribe of Manasseh. The sons of Gershon were given Golan in Bashan with its common lands, Ashtaroth with, with its common lands, and from the tribe of Issachar, Kadesh with its common lands, Dabaroth with its common lands, Ramoth with its common lands, Anem with its common lands, and from the tribe of Asher, Mashal with its common lands, Abdon with its common lands, Hakuk 
with its common lands, or Hukok with its common lands, and Rehob with its common lands, and from the tribe of Naphtali, Kadesh in Galilee with its common lands, Hamon with its common lands, and Kerjathaim with its common lands. From the tribe of Jeb, from from the tribe of Zebulon, the rest of the children of Merari were given Rimon, with its common lands, Tabor with its common lands, and on the other side of the Jordan, across from Jericho, on the east side of the Jordan, they were given the tribe of Reuben, Bezer in the wilderness with its common lands, Jaza with its common lands, Kedemoth with its common lands. Mephath with its common lands, and from the tribe of Gad, Ramoth, and Gilead with its common lands, Mahanaim with its common lands, Heshbon with its common lands, Jezer with its common lands. Sons of Issachar were Tola, Pua, Jashub, Shimron. Four in all, the sons of Tola were Uzi, Raphai, Jeriel, Jemai, Gibsum. And Shemuel, the heads of their father's houses, the sons of Tola were mighty men of valor in their generations. They were numbered in the days of David was 22,600. The sons of Uzi were Israiah. The sons of Israiah were Mikael, Obadiah, Joel, Eshiah. All five of them were chief men. And with them by generations, according to their houses, were 36,000 troops ready for war. For many had, for they had many wives and sons. Now their brethren, among all the families of Issachar, were mighty men of valor, listed by their genealogies, eighty-seven thousand in all. The sons of Benjamin were Bela, Becker, Jediel, three in all. The sons of Bela were Esbon, Uzi, and Uziel, Jer- Jeremoth, and Eri, five in all. They were the heads of their fathers' houses and were listed. By their genealogies, 22,034 mighty men of valor. The sons of Becker were Zemariah, Joash, Eliezer, Elionai, Omri, Jeremoth, Abijah, Anathoth, and Elameth. All these were the sons of Becker. And, and they were recorded by genealogy according to their generations, the heads of their father's houses, 20,200 mighty men of valor. The sons of Jediel were Bilhan. The sons of Bilhan were Jehush, Benjamin, Ehud, Cheniah, Zethan, Tharshish, and Ahihashar. All the sons of Jediel were heads of their father's houses. They were 17,200 mighty men of valor fit to go out to war in battle, Shupam and Hippam were the sons of Ur, and Husham was the son of Aher. The sons of Naphtali were Jahaziel, Guni, Jezer, and Shalom, the sons of Bila. Verse 14. The descendants of Manasseh, his Syrian concubine, bore him Machir, the father of Gilead, the father of Asriel. Machir Took, his, took as his wife, the sister of Hupim and Shupim, whose name was Macha, the name of Gilead's grandson, and Zelophehad. But Zelophehad begot only daughters. Maaka, the wife of Makir, bore a son, and she called his name Peresh. The name of his brother was Sheresh, and his sons were Ulam and Rakem. The son of Ulam was Bedan. 
These were the descendants of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh. His sister, Hamolacheth, bore Ishad, Abiezer, and Mala. The sons of Shemida were Ahan, Shechem, Liki, and Aniam. The sons of Ephraim were Shuthalah, Bered his son, Tahath his son, Eladah his son, Tahath his son, Zabad his son, Shuthalah his son, and Ezer and Eliad, the men of Gath, who were born in the land, killed them because they were down, they came down to take away their cattle. Then Ephraim, their father, mourned many days, and his brethren came to comfort him. And when he went in to his wife, she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Bariah, because tragedy had come upon the house. Now his daughter was Sherah, who built a lower and upper Beth Haran, and Uzan Sherah, and Repha, his son, as well as Resheth, and Tela, his son, Tahan, his son, Lyadin, his son, Amihud, his son, Alishama, his son, Nun, his son, and Joshua, his son. Now their possessions and dwelling places were Bethel and its towns, east of Naran and west of Gezer, <clears throat> its towns, and Shechem and its towns, as far as Aya and its towns, and by the borders of the children of Manasseh were Bethshean and its towns, Taanach, his towns, Megadu and its towns, Dor and its towns. In these dwelt the children of Joseph, the son of Israel. Verse 30. The sons of Asher were Imna, Ashva, Ishva, Bariah, and their sister, Sarah. The sons of Bariah were Heber and Malkiel, who was the father of Berzaith. And Heber begot Japhlet, Shomer, Hotham, and their sister, Shua. The sons of Japhlet were Pasak, Bimhal, and Ashavah. These were the children of Japhlet. The sons of Shemer were Ahi, Rogha, Jehuba, and Aram. The sons of his brother Helam were Zopha, Imna, Shelesh, and Amal. The sons of Zopha were Shua, Hanafer, Shual, Bera, Beri, Imra, Bezer, Had, Shama, Shilsha, Jethran, and Bera. Sons of Jether were Jephana, Pispa, and Ara. The sons of Ula were Ara, Hanail, and Rizia. All these were the children of Asher, heads of their father's houses, choice men, mighty men of valor, and chief leaders. And they were recorded by the genealogies among the army fit for battle. Their number was 26,000. And then we'll read chapter eight and we'll be done. Now, Benjamin begot Bela, the firstborn of Ashbel, the son of Ariah, the third, Noah, the fourth, and Rapha, the fifth. The sons of Bela were Adar, Gera, Abihud, Abishua, Naaman, Ahoa, Gera, Shafuafan, and Huram. These are the sons of Ehud, who were the heads of the father's houses of the inhabitants of Geba, who forced them to move to Manahath. Naaman, Ahijah, and Gera, who forced them to move, he begot Uzzah and Ahud. Also, Shahariam, 
Shahuraim had children in the country of Moab after he had sent away Hishum, sorry, Hushim, and Bara his wives. By Hodesh, his wife, he begot Jobab, Zibiah, Mesha, Milcom, Jeuz, Sikiah, and Mirmah. These were the sons of the heads of their father's houses. And Hushim begot Abitub and Elpaal. The sons of Elpaal were Eber, Misham, Shemed, who built Ano and Lod with its towns, and Bariah and Shema, who were the heads of their father's houses of the inhabitants of Ajalon, who drove out the inhabitants of Gath, Ahio, Shashak, Jermoth, Zebediah, Arad, Eder, Mikael, Ispa, Joah, and the sons of Bariah, Zebedah, Mishulam, Hiski, Heber, Ishmarai, Jizlia, Jobab, were the sons of Elpal, Jakim, Zikri, Zabdi, Elianai, Elinai, sorry, Zilathai, Eliel, Abadai, Bariah, Shimrath were sons of Shimei, Ishpen, Eber, Eliel, Abdon, Zikri, Hanan, Hananiah, Elam, Antothijah, Ephdiah, Penuel, were sons of Shishak, Shemsherai, Shay, (laughs) this is so hard, y'all, verse 26, Shemsherai, Shehariah, Ethaliah, Jarashiah, Elijah, and Zikri were the sons of Joram. These were the heads of their father's houses by their generations. Chief men, these dwelt in Jerusalem. The father of Gibeon, whose wife's name was Maacah, dwelt in Gibeon. And his firstborn son was Abdon, then Zer, Kish, Baal, Nadab, Gedor, Ahio, Zechar, and Mikloth, who begot Shemaiah. Then they dwelt alongside their relatives in Jerusalem with their brethren, Ner, begot Kish, Kish begot Saul, Saul begot Jonathan, Melchishua, Abinadab, and Eshbaal. The son of Jonathan was Merib-Baal, and Merib-Baal begot Micah, Micah, sorry. The sons of Micah were Pithon, Malek, Tereah, Ahaz. Ahaz begot jo- jo- Jehoada, Jehoada begot Elemeth, Azmeth, and Zimri, and Zimri begot Moza. Moza begot Benai, Rapha his son, Eliasa his son, and Azel his son. Azel had six sons whose names were Azrakem, Bekaru, Ishmael, Sheriah, Obadiah, and Hanan. These were the sons of Azael. The son of Eshek, his brother, was Ulam, his firstborn, Jeush, the second, Eliphalet, his third. The sons of Ulam were mighty men of valor, archers. They had many sons of generations, 150 in all. These were the sons of Benjamin. I'm going to stop right here. Um, it's always entertaining to read these things out loud. <laughs> um, it's always, always entertaining to read these, these, uh, these particular chapters out loud. Um, 
where we're reading through genealogies uh, because <laughs> these names are painfully hard to read. If you're not a Hebrew person, these names are painfully, painfully difficult to read. Um, but we made it through and thank God for that. Right. <laughs> we made it through. Um, if you are here for the first time and maybe you're, you're participating with us in our time in the reading of the word, and this is your first time here. What we do here is, is that we commit our time, right? To reading the word of God. We commit our time to hear from God through his word. Um, it is the most important thing. And for many of you who have committed this time, I, I, I can't emphasize this enough. This is probably, and maybe this was, this is your first time. For some of you, this is your first time. For some of you, you maybe have done it before, but this has just been different for you because, um, you know, joining with other people in the reading of the word is in itself also an, an incredibly powerful endeavor. Um, there's an energy through us reading together. Um, there's a power in that through us reading the word together uh, so much so that it empowers even the person who's reading it, whoever is reading it, because the word of God itself is sufficient in transforming. Uh, the word of God can change someone's life. The word of God can change someone's perspective, of course, if read uh, appropriately. And that's one of the things that I uh, hope to do and my contribution to you is every time that I come and read this, and yes, I come every weekday morning from Monday through Friday, every weekday morning, we do this reading together. And for those of you who know, we've also been posting these readings on the Read and Rant podcast, which is almost at 25,000 downloads, by the way. Family, it's been amazing to see how many of you have committed to this time, where every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we post the readings that we do here on our live um, and then, you know, for those of you who are patrons, I've, I've made this commitment for the patrons who support, which I thank you all who support. Um, I've made the commitment now to post it right after this reading rant. So that way, whatever we did this day, you get the day of as well, because I believe, um, even though you guys have committed and it's not something that you asked for, it's just a commitment that I'm making to you. And so I'm grateful for that because it does take time off my hands when I, have to prepare the, the podcast later on down the line. So thank you for that. Uh, thank you for, for uh, uh, compelling me to, to, to engage in that, um, in that rhythm. Um, but yeah, so I, I, you know, if this is your first time, this is what we're here to do. Good morning, rising Christians. Good to see you. Um, and, and so w what do we want to get out of this time? Cause if we're, if we're going to read the Bible from a meditational posture, okay, not, not from a intellectual posture, but if we would read it from a meditational posture, because the word of God is food, it is spiritual food. If the word of God is spiritual food, then we have to primarily ask, what is the Lord depositing to our spirit in our engagement with the word? What is the transmission of the Holy Spirit to us? In the reading of the word, not simply what in this word makes and doesn't make sense. Because, yes, the word can make intellectual sense. And unfortunately, the word has made intellectual sense for many a people who've engaged in the intellectual exercise of the word. 
and yet they don't know who God is. I think I've told you this before. There are theologians who have admitted to me personally that they enjoy the intellectual exercise of the word because the word is rich in information, knowledge, history, understanding. And yet even though they love the word for the for what they get out of the word, they have confessed to me and maybe to many, and some may know some theologians, but there are theologians that teach at seminaries, that teach pastors who will admit that they do not believe in God or that they do not know God. And I think the travesty in that is that there are many people who simply read the word to understand what it is saying. But what's the point of understanding the diction and the language and the context and the lexicon? And, you know, you can go through concordances and dictionaries and study biblical history and break all of that down. And yet at the end of the day, you don't know God. What's the point? Because the scripture, because Jesus said, all scripture testifies of him. This is to bring revelation to Jesus Christ. That's the whole purpose of the word. And so if you're simply engaging the word to get an intellectual understanding of the word, you're going to find that eventually you're going to hit an impasse. And in that impasse, you're going to have to wrestle with whether or not you actually believe or whether or not this is just a cool thing to do because it's just cool and fun to do. Um, and that's why we do the read and rant because I want to see believers change their posture because a lot of times believers are so intimidated by this book. They're so intimidated by it because there's so many things here that I don't understand that I don't get that don't make sense. And so what I hope is happening is that I'm teaching you simply through my activity, my commitment, and my endeavor in the word. I hope what I'm doing is, is I'm teaching you the rhythm of meditational reading to simply read the word, not to, not to understand every minute detail of the scripture and every nuance and every context and all of that, but to simply engage in exposing yourself to the presence of God in the word. Because why? I, I know I'm, I'm, this is a little side rant before I get to my point. Why? Because the scripture also tells us that we are washed by the word. Did anybody hear that? We are washed by the word. The Holy Spirit washes us with the word. So if the word is the water, then the Holy Spirit is the washing machine that does the work. So the Holy Spirit actually has to do the work. We're going to sit here all day. And read and read and read and read and read and under, and get all this insight and understanding. And it means nothing because the Holy Spirit has to actually do the work of sanctifying us in the washing of the word. So when we come to read the word, we're not simply going, I need to understand it because if I understand it, then I'll be a better Christian or I'll be saved or I'll be transformed. No, the understanding doesn't transform us. And let me say this once more that there are people who know a lot and yet they're not very good Christians. They don't live out their work. There are Pharisees who know the word. Get this, Satan knows the word more than most Christians. It doesn't stop Satan from being Satan. The knowledge of the word is not what saves you. It's your opening of your spirit and submitting to allow the spirit 
to testify to your spirit that you are a child of God. So what the word ought to be is a transmission. Okay. It's a transmission of God's spirit to our spirit. If, if God is the power source and we are the appliance, then what the word is, is the cord that connects the two to allow the transmission to happen. But we have to posture ourselves in spiritual transmission, not simply in, I want to understand everything that I'm reading. Is everybody with me there? I hope you understand what I'm saying. I'm saying that, yes, Bible study is great. And I can't wait for Bible study on Tuesday. I love Bible study and I love digging in and getting deep. But let me tell you something. You can get real, real deep and I can I can go real, real deep with you. But what's the point if it doesn't lead you to a life of submission in Jesus Christ? What does that do if it doesn't compel you to live a life of faith and dependence on God? What 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 is it? What what is it, what does any of this mean? Right. And so anyway, I had to say that. However, the one thing that I think is a profound blessing to many of you, and I think that's what the read and ran, I've heard this from some of your testimonies that the read and ran has done for you is is what the read and ran has done is is that the read and ran is breaking some of those institutional pillars in your mind, breaking some of the things that you grew up with in church and allowing you now to start from ground zero in a way. It's breaking some of the things that you may have been taught or maybe not taught, may have been told about what the Bible says or how you ought to approach the scripture. And for many of you, this has been a time where you're going, wow, this has set me free. Someone messaged me. And this is not a rebuke, okay? This is not a rebuke. But someone messaged me saying, your read and rant has set me free. You have set me free with this read and rant. I just want to just quickly say this. I cannot set anyone free, <laughs> okay? I actually cannot do it. I do not have the ability to set anyone free. Jesus sets people free. I don't do any of that. Now, it's not a rebuke because I think what you're actually saying is, and I've heard a few of you message this, but I think what you're actually trying to say, okay, what, what, what I think you're actually trying to say is, is you're saying that you actually compelled me to actually read this for myself. And in my time reading it for myself, it's actually setting me free. Does that make sense? There's a difference, right? There's a difference between well, Isaac set me free or Isaac brought you to the person who can set you free. So I'm just here to bring you to the one who can set you free. And I'm just going to get out the way because I can't set anybody free. Okay. I can't set anybody free. I'm just, I'm just redirecting you to the person who set me free. Does that make sense? Like, like, do you get that? Like, like I, I want to make sure you understand that. So I think what many of you are saying for those of you who have been engaging over the last few months, as we've read from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First Samuel, Second Samuel, First Kings, Second Kings, and now we're in First Chronicles. As you've been reading through it with me, things are opening up, and you're going, "Wait a second, this is not what I thought it was. This is wait. So the Bible is really about this and not that. 
the Bible is really about a story of God being restoration to humanity, not about the Ten Commandments and following the laws. The Bible is about God freeing us and bringing us back into identity in him and not about these are the things I need to do in order to be a good Christian. Oh, the Bible is about a bigger story about how God is bringing renewal and restoration and redemption to all humanity through a particular people that he's chosen a family to do it through. And that I get a privilege to be to, 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 to eavesdrop into the story to see how God has given me life and restored me. This has never been about the book of rules for how I ought to be a Christian. This has always been about what God has done. And there's anything that kind of throws people off. And, and I know it's, it's come from a good place, but we wear the braces of what would Jesus do? Right? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And I've said this before, but what would Jesus do is antithetical to the gospel. Because the reality is, is what Jesus would do, we cannot do without the Holy Spirit. So the, what, what, the, what the actual bracelet, bracelet should say is not what would Jesus do, is what has Jesus done, right? Like, what has Jesus done that gives me freedom now to love him and to be in relationship with him? So it's not what would Jesus do, because, come on, fam. What, what Jesus would do is not what I would do. Like, I got to answer. What would Jesus do? Not what Isaac would do. <laughs> right? Like, what would Jesus do? Not what I would do, for sure. And what would Jesus do puts this pressure on us that we got work to do to change this when the reality is it's not what would Jesus do. It What has Jesus done? Because by the power of the Holy Spirit, it transforms me to now live out this relationship with Jesus Christ. This has always been about relationship. This has never been about work. I'm sorry, I'm ranting. I just have to make sure I bring this all into light. Because as we're reading through the Old Testament, many of us have been thrown off by it. And the reason why we've been thrown off by the Old Testament is because... We read it, inserting ourselves into it in a way to figure out what do we need to do in order to either gain eternal life or in order for God to love us or in order to be received by God or in order to be faithful Christians. And so we read it from an, an instructional perspective when that's not the purpose of the Old Testament. I I already have a problem with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy being categorized as the book of the law. It's the Torah, but it's not the law. It's the story that we miss out because we're, re we're too busy reading the Ten Commandments and we miss the story. Does anybody understand that? So we're inserting ourselves and we're making it for us when the reality is this is what God is doing and accomplishing, there's a degree of separation here. This is what God is doing and accomplishing through a story of a people. And through the story of these people, 
we see the work that God is doing for all of humanity. So now when I read Genesis, I'm reading about Abraham. Don't insert yourself into Abraham's story. No, no, no. Read the story and see what God is accomplishing through Abraham by his faith in him. Realizing that Abraham's not the story. Abraham's a player. Sorry, Abraham's not the hero. Abraham's simply the player in the story. It's what Jesus has already done. Then we see the story of Abraham and Isaac. And then we see now this tension between Isaac and Ishmael. We see the covenant is through Isaac. Ishmael was works. Isaac is grace. Ishmael is what Abraham tried to do. Isaac is what Jesus did. And so now take yourself out of it because it's not about you. It's about what God is doing. It's about Christ. It's about Jesus from the beginning. And so now we go from Abraham to Isaac. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau was first, Jacob was second, but somehow Jacob got the birthright because it's grace. It's covenant. And so now Jacob has um, Jacob struggles with God, and his name is changed to Israel. Israel has 12 sons. What about Esau? Esau has sons as well. And Esau becomes a nation. Guess where that nation is located in? Canaan. So now there's a nation, and now another nation. We have Israel now, the children of Israel, going to Egypt, spending more time in Egypt than they should have. Now that they spend more time in Egypt than, than they should have, Esau inhabited the land that Israel's children meant to have inhabited in the first place. So now Esau is there. His children are there. The Canaanites, the Moabites, the, the we can go through all the, all the ites. They're all there. We read that genealogy earlier on in our time in the read and ran. So we read this genealogy, and then we read about the children of Israel. And now there's a genealogy formed in Egypt. They become a nation in Egypt. So now the 12 sons become 12 tribes, and these 12 tribes become a nation. And now this nation leaves Egypt, and Moses comes into the picture to help, to help guide the people into the promised land, back to the land that was promised to them. Why? Because God is establishing his renewal, his restoration, his justice. He's establishing all of it through the story of these people. Guess what? You don't put yourself in that. You, you don't, we don't get to insert ourselves. When they go through the wilderness and they get to Mount Sinai and God makes a covenant, understand the difference between covenant and law. Covenant is a contract. It's an agreement. The law is the means by which this contract is fulfilled. The covenant was the agreement that they made that they would be God's children, that they would be God's people. And now Moses, then, you know, at Mount Sinai, they make this covenant with God. And, and in consequence of the covenant with God, they're given the Ten Commandments. Notice the Ten Commandments wasn't written to Christians. The Ten Commandments were written to the children of Israel to set them apart, to make them distinct, because God is writing a story through them. It's not about you. This is about what God is doing through them. Ooh. And then, of course, the law begins to unravel and we see all these laws that were written. Isn't it funny how we put ourselves into the laws 
as if these are things that Christians need to do in order to be good Christians, in order, but this was never about you. Stop making yourself part of the story. You're not about that. This is not about you. God gives the children of Israel these laws to live distinct, to live separate, to be a peculiar people. He said, be holy for I am holy. He wasn't talking to us right now, not in this moment. Remember, we're going to get the full understanding of all of this. But in this moment, stop inserting yourself. This wasn't about you. He says, be holy for I am holy. He's talking to the children of Israel because he's, 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 he's building a nation. He's establishing a nation of priests, mediators that will show what the kingdom of God looks like, to show what God looks like to humanity, to show what it means for God to rule in humanity. This ain't about you. Right now, we need to separate ourselves. And then we begin to read the children then. That's, that's, the, that's the book of Exodus. In the book of um, Numbers, they finally leave Mount Sinai once they've been given Leviticus. Leviticus is the law of the atonement to say, I gave you the law, but I'm going to go ahead and put in the law a backup plan in the law because I know you're going to break the law. And because I know you're going to break the law, I'm going to give you a way to continually come into my presence every time that you break the law. And the way that you do that is through a thing called a sacrifice or an atonement through the blood sacrifice, because the life is in the blood. I'm going to give you access back into my presence because you will continue to screw up, but I've still continue to call you by my name. And so in order for you to come into my presence, we need a sacrifice to give you access to it. And that was what the atonement was all about. That's what the book of Leviticus is all about. It was a book about how an unholy, unrighteous, imperfect people can enter right back into the presence of God. And they were able to do it over and over and over and over again. They sinned, they went back to God. They sinned, they went back to God. They broke the law, they went back to God. They they did bad things, they went back to God because they knew how to get access back to the presence of God that was through the atonement, through the sacrifice. They didn't have a God problem. We are the ones who have a getting back into the presence of God problem. They didn't have it because they knew they had a sacrifice. They would come with a sacrifice and they would enter into the presence of God. That was their access back. It didn't matter what they did. They can go back into the presence of God. This is what we're learning about these people, what they understood about God. Then they go into numbers and now they go from, I think somebody wrote it. We, we went from that to the tabernacle and from tabernacle now to the land that was promised to them, Zion, this kingdom. They, they go across, and of course, we, we learn that they that generation, they didn't get to go into the land because of the lack of faith, not because of their sin, because God gave them something for their sin. They actually went because of the lack of, of faith, because they did not believe, and they questioned God. God said, this generation is going to stay in the wilderness. I'm going to send a second generation to go into the land instead, the generation after them. So you guys can go ahead and stay about 40 years. And after 40 years, then you can go. In, then the next generation can go into the land. Only Joshua and Caleb are going to stay. Okay, so Joshua and Caleb are the ones, only ones that were permitted to actually go across. And so now what happens? What happens is, is that there's a second law given to them. Of course, Moses also breaks. Moses also disobeys God because his disobedience. Moses doesn't get to go in either. So now we get into Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy literally means the law again. It means the law again. I'm getting to my point, y'all. It means the law again. And so he gives them the law one more time because the second generation that grew up in the wilderness didn't get the law that the first generation got at Mount Sinai. And so Deuteronomy is just the law again. 
That's literally what the word Deuteronomy means. It means the law again. And so now they receive the law again. And after they receive the law, they enter into this land with the law. But then we get into Judges. They, Joshua, they subdue the land. The land is theirs. They have victory over the land. Judges, they don't look like the children that walked in from the wilderness. In Judges, we see the children of God that look just like the Canaanite nations they came to subdue. Rather than bringing their holiness to the children of Canaan, to the, to the inhabitants of Canaan, instead they allowed Canaan to inhabit them. And so by the end of Judges, they're murdering, they're killing, they're stealing, they're raping, sex trafficking, all of it, all of it. They looked like Canaan. They started off good. They ended bad. The book of Ruth is a little insert into the story. Because the book of Ruth said, meanwhile, in the time of the judges, that's how it begins. Meanwhile, in the time of the judges, God is still setting aside a plan. Because now the story of Ruth begins the story of David. See, while all this is going on in Judges, there's someone in, in Moab who God is setting aside and writing a story through them. And through Ruth and Boaz would come now the father of Jesse and then Jesse who would be the father of David. Because what, what, what the problem is with Judges is Judges ended was with there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Why did I, why, why did I just do that? Because I want you to see the big picture. This was always about Israel and their issue of not finding a king. Israel is seeking a king. And in Samuel, Samuel ushers in the new king. It wasn't Saul, but David was the man after God's own heart. But then it wasn't David because David falls short. So now we have a lineage of kings who come after David because the promise was made in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that there would be a king that would bring renewal and restoration. There would be a king that would bring justice, who would rule the nations. There would be a king that would make everything right in this world. This king would be a Messiah, a messianic king who would restore all things. And Israel was waiting for that king. And it wasn't David, but it was one to come after David. And so now we see a line of kings through the book of Kings who come from, uh, 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 from Absalom. And then we see a line of kings who come through Solomon, the line of kings through Absalom led the nation in the north, Israel. The line of kings through Solomon led the nations in the nation of Judah in the south. And we see by the end of kings, these kings weren't those kings. And so we open up the book of Chronicles. And, and Chronicles opens up. The first word in the book of Chronicles, sorry if it took me so long to get here, but I wanted to give a refresher for those of you who are here. I probably missed a lot of things in the way, but you get the big idea. The book of Chronicles opens, the first word is Adam. This all began with Adam. And it would seem that Chronicles is starting from the beginning, from Adam, then to Seth, then to Enosh, then to Canaan. 
And then we see from Adam to the family of Ishmael, to the family of Isaac, to the family of Edom, then to the family of Israel, right? Isaac's son. Israel is Isaac's son. So now the family of Israel, who has 12 sons, and then from the family of Israel through those 12 sons, we see the family of David. From Israel to, actually it goes, and this is where it's kind of interesting, but it goes from Israel, then to Judah, then to David, and then from David, it goes back again. And, and notice what the, what the writer is doing in the book of Chronicles. The writer is giving you a full census, a full genealogy. The book of Chronicles is giving you an ancestry.com. But the one thing that I want you to pay very, very close attention throughout our reading in the last two days is he's starting from the beginning because, again, the destiny of the earth rests in the hands of humanity. Why? Because God gave the destiny of the earth to humanity. Fill the earth and subdue it. And now we see this articulation of a genealogy, and we're seeing, again, the thread of the the, the Hebrew people because this story is being written through the lens and the thread of the Hebrew people. This messianic king. We're waiting for this king. And so we see two lines. And I know, I know this is a lot. And so I want to draw attention to one thing. Today's Friday. So we'll be back on this on Monday. But what you're seeing is the history of how we got here. Ancestry.com, what it does is it tells you where you came from and where you came from helps bring understanding and information to where you are and why you are where you are. And it helps give insight not only as to where you are, but it gives you wisdom as to where you're going to go. In Chronicles, while it was written 200 years after the captivity that we saw ended in Second Kings, which we talked about two days ago. What we end with here, and I want you to pay very, very close attention to it, is there are two lineages here. There are a story of two lineages here. Um, you have the lineage of the kings. Because again, Israel's waiting for a king. And then what you'll notice is there's a lineage of the priests. And maybe I should have pointed that out at the beginning of our reading. Because what the writer of Chronicles is doing is he's showing you how the lineage of kings, the king we're waiting for, also coincides with the lineage of priests. That the king we're waiting for will be a priest. The priest that we're waiting for will be a king. And yet the promise of the king coincides with the history of the priests and the lineage of the priests. So this king will be a priest king. This king will be a priest king. But for now, I'm going to show you the lineage of kings. In the meantime, I'm going to show you the lineage of priests. And what I'm going to show you is, if you notice in reading through the text, is what you're going to notice is, the confluence of the line of the priests and the kings will be in a person.
Because the world doesn't just need a king who's going to rule the land. The world needs a priest who will represent the glory of God. The world is waiting for a priest, king. We don't need a king just to rule over us. We need a representative, the very presence, the corporeal presence of God mediating on our behalf. The priest is the mediator between humanity and God. And yet the, pre- and yet the king is the administrator of the kingdom of God on earth. And so I leave you with this. What the writer is doing is the writer is setting the stage. That family, what you've been waiting for is coming. What you've been waiting for is on the way. You haven't seen it yet, but it's coming. And the privilege that we have family is that throughout this whole history, we get the privilege of knowing how this story ends. Yet Israel doesn't know how it ends. But Israel is waiting. Israel is waiting. And so the writer felt it necessary to show you the entire lineage. You know, it's one of the lineages that we ignore. The entire lineage of priests and of kings. That's the contribution of what we read here. It's the lineage of priests and the lineage of kings and to see how they come together into unity. There is a Melchizedek on the way. That's what they're waiting for. They're waiting for the Melchizedek, the priest king who will usher in the kingdom of God and bring all things to renewal and restoration. May his kingdom come. May his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we thank you that you've given us the privilege today, Lord, to read through an Ancestry.com. And if anything, an Ancestry.com tells us, it tells us where we've come from, but it also speaks into where we're going. And yet we still find ourselves in the tension that where we are isn't yet where we're going but we can see where we're going because we see how the writer writes this story. And we see Lord, how you're revealing Lord, this, this line of priests and this line of Kings. So father guide us, Lord guide us as we read the story to see that, to see it through the remainder of the story, to see it through the remainder of the text, to see it through the remainder of this old Testament, Lord, this, this fusing, of priesthood and kinghood. Father, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen.